0: I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 56. Welcome in, Mr. Mark LaCour. As always, great to be here, James. It is great to be here. We haven't mentioned in a a few episodes, I'm from triberocket.com. Tribe being the tribe of people that you build around your brand to drive traffic leads and sales into your business. And what about you, Mark? Uh,
1: modalpoint.com.
0: We are the sales experts in the oil and gas industry. Yeah, so if you have anything you want to sell into oil and gas, then you talk to Mark. And if you need the messaging and the story, then you talk to me. But one unfortunate thing we have to talk about this morning is it's, it's been a rough week. With the terrorist attacks in Brussels,
1: yeah, it's um, you know, this is just horrible, right? <clears throat> Thirty-one people were killed, uh, two hundred seventy were injured uh, from uh, terrorist attack by ISIS. Yeah, and so our you know our hearts and our prayers go out to our brothers and sisters in Brussels.
0: Absolutely, and in addition to that, the oil field lost lost a a really great man in Mr. Lou Ward, which I know you know much more about Mr. Ward than I do, so I'll let you talk. Yeah, Lou was one of the uh, godfathers of the oil and gas industry. Um, He started
1: uh, Ward Petroleum back in 1971. Um, He was a uh, Korean War uh, Army vet, Um, great guy, built a great company with a great culture, and he just recently passed away. So rest in peace, uh, Lou Ward.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to get a little emotional here, and it might seem silly, Because we're going to talk about a rapper. But Fife Dog from Tribe Called Quest passed away yesterday. A Tribe Called Quest, if you've never heard of them. They were a groundbreaking influential rap group out of New York City in the 90s. And I'm going to get emotional. Fife hooked me on hip-hop. That's why I became a DJ. That's why I know how to produce podcasts. That's why I have a business. And I can remember the tape, the tape that I first heard, you know, a tribe called Quest. And even the name of my business is is somewhat of a hat tip to these guys. So rest in peace, Fife Dog. You did a lot for me in my life, and I wouldn't be where I am without you. So for all of these, for for Fife and for Lou Ward and the terrorist attacks, we're going to take a brief moment of silence. Right here at the top of the show. All right. Thank you for thank you for going through the through that with us. Please pray for everyone involved in the terrorist attacks. Pray for Mr. Ward's family and, and, and pray for Fife and the one thing I want to stress here, because I have personal experience with this hits me hardly, not only because of the influence on my life, but he died from complications from diabetes that didn't need to happen. And my first business was helping people get off sugar and lose weight. And my dad is a type two type two diabetic, and it took us a long time to finally convince him to kick sugar. And he did, and he lost all the weight, and he got all, all of his meds. So maybe that's one good thing that can come out of that. Get off the sugar (laughs) and take care of yourself. uh, A lot of people don't know this, but type two type one diabetes,
1: you can't control. It's an autoimmune disease where your immune system attacks your, your um, own insulin producing cells type two diabetes, you control (laughs) it's diet and exercise. And if, and if you do the right things, you can get off all the meds and make type two diabetes go away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what my dad did. And, Yesterday I did hit fourteen because I'm I, I I've got a little weight carrying from uh from the last couple of years of what I've been through, but um I don't know it hit me hard in that way because I'm 35 he was 45 and I'm and I said okay fight 14 flights of stairs four times uh, let's go <laughs> so so anyway let's move on. We've got a lot of stories to get to. Major production projects start up around the world. This got a lot of attention from RigZone. So talk us through it, Mark.
1: Yeah, this is a great article in RigZone. This is basically showing that even in these low crude prices, major projects are still being started up. Uh, And the reason they're being started up is because these uh, offshore projects, especially deep water projects, have a very long lifetime. From first oil decommission, maybe 50 years. So a one- to two-year blip of low crude prices doesn 't really affect the profitability, although some of these projects are pushed out, so they 're talking about um, how uh, in europe there's a bunch of projects being kicked off there's projects being kicked off in the Middle East, uh, projects being kicked off in Africa, and projects being kicked off in, in Asia. Um, one that was really cool is in Europe totals um, like going development, <clears throat> which is a uh, 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 west of Shetland area will, will go online at ninety thousand barrels a day whoa <laughs> that's some, that's some Big production numbers. Um, And they're also looking to hit about uh, 500 million cubic feet of gas per day. So, um, you know, once again, we're living in a hydrocarbon abundant world, and we will continue to live in a hydrocarbon abundant world because of big projects like this.
0: Yeah, and it's really going to benefit the people of the UK because more energy independence for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the more they can produce, the less they have to buy from Russia, the less um, uh, chokehold Russia has on, on Europe, which is a good thing.
0: Absolutely. And, and what were some of the other projects that they, that they keyed in on? Oh, so I thought it was really cool. They also
1: talked about the uh, horse hill discovery, which is a new discovery in the UK. Um, and slumberjay was out there helping them with that. And they calculate there's about 11 billion barrels of oil in place. <laughs> um, that's a big number. Um, and then, you know, starting about in Africa, Africa's uh, rocking and rolling, even Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia had some um, new um, projects come online, um, where they're looking to produce about another 25 – or have the ability to produce another 25 million barrels of oil, um, which, which, is, which is significant. It's not as huge as 90 million barrels of oil, but still 25 million barrels from, a, um, from the reservoirs as mature as Saudi Arabia is actually pretty cool. And this is all leading back to new technology. New technology is allowing us to either find oil and gas that we didn't know existed where it was or actually be able to profitably pull it out of the ground.
0: What about anybody that might be listening and saying, whoa, 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 Mark, we need these these capacities to draw down. We can't have all this stuff going on.
1: Huh? Yeah, it's um, and I've actually heard quite a bit of that. What people don't realize, the reason we're in a low crude price market right now is that there's an oversupply, right? So there's actually more oil and gas in the market than is being used. But that percent of oversupply is shrinking dramatically. We are getting close where we'll we'll be back to what I would consider normal prices, which is going to be around fifty to sixty dollars a barrel. We're still we're still saying sixty by August. Um, there may even there's been some recent developments. You know, Libya is not being able to come online like they thought they were. It looks like some of the OPEC uh, countries will actually back off production um some productions that are starting to decline here uh in the gulf coast. So it it we may even be in a rebound situation. I don't have enough data yet to call that, but it may actually spike at say 75 or 80 for a little while and then drop back down to 50 or 60. Once again, I don't, I don't have enough data to confirm that, but we still are sitting hard and fast at $60 a barrel by August.
0: We'll definitely get into that a little bit later in the show. Let's move over to Algeria where Reuters had an exclusive oil revenues down Algeria woos energy investors. Yeah. So Al-
1: Algeria is in a, a predic- predicament right now. Um, they've had some, um, some security issues out there uh, in Algeria is in North Africa. If nobody knows where Algeria is um, and they, the kind of, they're their, their, um, revenues dependent on good oil prices, which we're in low oil prices right now. So they need to actually produce an in, increase output in these low crude prices so they can at least make some money and they don't have the ability to do that. So what they're doing is they're reaching out to the rest of the world, looking for investors, both with capital or technology to invest in their oil fields so they can increase production so that they can um, actually still make some money. But, you know, 2013, we had a, um, a, a, a terrorist attack basically in the uh, BP and stat oil, Um, Plant and uh, forty oil workers died, so the oil and gas industry um, safety is the biggest biggest business driver globally. So you know a lot of these companies that normally would invest in Algeria are looking like you know there's a security risk out there. We don't want our people to get hurt. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see what Algerian governments have to do is is they have to be able to assure investors that they can secure. Um, their own borders, and and I, you know, I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. So it's
0: going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this this works out. So it looks like they're talking to any, and then sinopec is it Sinopac or sinopac Cinepac. Okay, so they're talking to 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 any and Cinepac. So and then also mentioning stat oil And you don't have a crystal ball, but what's the likelihood that these companies are going to want to go ahead? You know, if, if they wouldn't have
1: had the security issues, I would say they're going to, if it makes business sense, they'll do it, right, if the finances work out. But you, you, James, you know this and our audience know this. Safety is a global business driver in this industry. Nobody wants their people to get hurt. And when you have an area of the world where terrorists are able just to cross borders and kill people in a plant, I, I you know, I've, I've actually, I, I talk, you know, to a lot of oil and gas business executives on a daily basis. And, and I don't see this happening just because of the security issues. Because I don't think Algeria can convince them why they can secure their borders.
0: Yeah, well, we'll continue to follow that story. And moving over to Oman, Oman, I should say, uh, PDO exceeds 2015 oil and gas production target.
1: Yeah, how cool is that, right? So um, they had production targets. Um, this is um, Petroleum Development Oman, which is the NOC, the national oil company there. And uh, they actually, they actually passed it up. And the cool thing about this is that if they want to, they think they can hit uh, 600,000 barrels a day, um, which is way ahead of their target. And once again, they're going to use this, and they're an OPEC member. They're going to use this to try to bring prices back up. So they have the ability to produce 600,000 barrels a day, but they won't produce that until they get the price back up. Um, and 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 this is OPEC strategy, um, you know, as a whole. And Oman's Oman's a good OPEC member. There's also bad OPEC members who don't go along with the strategy of OPEC Um, and and they're paying the price right now. Um, You know, Venezuela is a prime example of, you know, their, their government, I think is going to get overthrown because of the chaos caused by these low crude prices, which is one of the reasons OPEC originally kept production up to lower the crude price. They wanted to punish their rogue members. So um, here's a, you know, a good example of an OPEC country doing the right thing uh, for its people and at the same time, if they need if they need to ramp up production and the price to go back up, they have the ability to do that.
0: Yeah, it looks like they're they're kind of walking the line to yeah. Johnny cash in terms of keeping cash flow coming in, but also not maximizing production to to pu- to push things down to the floor. Yeah. And
1: Oman does some really cool stuff, uh, even though it's a monarchy. So they, they've created a whole bunch of jobs. And a lot of these jobs around this are actually in small and medium sized comp- companies. They support small companies within their borders in the oil and gas industry, something a lot of OPEC members don't do. That gives you the ability um, to have a bunch of different um, people working on the same problem, which drives efficiencies. In the industry and at the same time when you support small business you support your local people because that's who runs these small businesses so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of oman production
0: company and it looks like they've had some discoveries on in 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 the country
1: yeah they've made some new discoveries and we just talked about that previously and that that relates back to technology basically seismic uh technology has improved so much that um now you'll be able to go you're able to go places in the world where you ha- where you think there's no oil and gas and find it and figure out exactly where it is and how big it is uh, you know, once again, it's, you know, people think about oil reserves like a glass, right? There's only so much in there. And when you pull some out, eventually you're it all. I challenge you to think about oil and gas as the sand on the beach, right? The sand on the beach is used to make glass but nobody thinks we're going to pleat all the sand on the beach <laughs> by making glass. It's just, there's so much of there. It doesn't even come in place. And that's what's happening right now um, globally is we're in this, you know, hydrocarbon rich environment and we'll continue to be there for a long time.
0: Yeah. 7,200 jobs for more than 3 billion. So pretty, pretty good for their, for their local economy. Yeah, all right. Very good. Moving over to the American side of things, struggling us oil and gas companies. eye rare financing deals.
1: Yeah, so we've talked about this, or we've at least touched this. I, I, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that a new debt market is going to be created in oil and gas, which is going to drive different business decisions and different adaptations of new technologies, blah, blah, blah. But this is talking about how um, some of the oil and gas, big oil and gas engineers like Chesapeake is looking to do something different, which is basically called a, a 1.5 lien. Now, a lien, if you don't understand what that means, is basically when whoever owns your debt and then own your property. So in my case for my house, if the bank wanted to apply a lien because I wasn't able to pay my mortgage, they would then say, "Okay, I now own your house Mark Lacord. You can stay there. I now own your house and when you pay off this debt that you owe me, I'll give it back to you." It's a legal thing. Well, a 1.5 lien is something different. It's where the bank would say to me, "Okay, we don't own your house. We own the ground your house is built on. Somebody else owns your house as another lien." So the first lien and the 1.5 lien together own your business. And that's the second round of debt that can be financed. So uh, in this case, Chesapeake Energy is looking to do this because they're in $9 billion of debt. Um, and, and you know, $9 billion is is a lot, especially when Chesapeake's earnings was only $600 million. So um, they're looking at basically refinancing their debt in a way that's never been done in oil and gas to try to keep their company propped up so they can eventually – pay all this debt off, pay all these bonds off, and then reemerge as a smaller, leaner, but still sovereign company of Chesapeake Energy, keep their people employed.
0: But Moody's here says that it's a pretty rare thing, only six companies in the field that have ever done this.
1: Yeah, I I I don't I actually don't think it's gonna happen. Um it's um it's it's very risky. So you know, think about you, right? If somebody came to you and said, look, Mark's not paying off his house note, his mortgage. We own his house now. We have a lien against that. But here, why don't you give us your money to, to own the land his house is on? You wouldn't go for that. I mean, because there's no, it's not, it's very risky, right? If I, if I default, the the um, owner of the house can sell the house. You can sell the land, but it's not worth that much, right? So um, I, I, I don't see this going through. I actually, I, I think what's going to happen is you can see a, a debt equity market Appear in oil and gas where investors are willing to step into like in this case chesapeake and say okay here's the deal we will pick up your nine billion dollars of debt so you can stay in business but you need to pay us back 13 billion dollars over the next 20 years i i think that's what's gonna happen and and we've actually you and i james where were we We were at nape and we met a, a gentleman that's actually doing yeah it that back. was at Nape. yeah so um i this 1.5 lean thing i i don't really see it taking off
0: yeah, and actually they mention a couple of the other companies who have who who have actually tried to go down this road unsuccessfully and then filed bankruptcy. So it is quite a high risk endeavor if you're headed down this road. Yeah, I just don't think people will
1: invest money in this. It's
0: just too risky. All right, speaking of risk, will the fall of Lynn Energy from seeking alpha? Will the fall of Lynn Energy save the oil industry?
1: Yeah, you know how I have this love-hate affair with uh with Seeking Alpha. With I, I I'm very aware. <laughs> this is a great article. If if you want to understand financially what the future of the oil and gas industry, especially here in North America, is, read this. This is really good. Um, it, because they're basically talking about Lin Energy is is going to declare bankruptcy, which is true. They will. <laughs> um, but the fact of this is going to create a domino effect where a bunch of these um, over leveraged, uh, especially the shale players, overload shale players, um, are are just going to go bankrupt. And and the reason they go bankrupt, quite frankly, um, is because people got in the oil and gas industry that don't know oil and gas, and they invested money not understanding how this industry works. And they built financial models that were just prone to failures, especially below $60 a barrel. So um, what's going to happen is the weaker players are going to be weeded out by natural business selection. They're going to go bankrupt or people are going to buy them. And when that happens, it's going to clear out the field so that the strong players, the good players, can survive. People like XTO Energy, who's just still rocking and rolling in the shell plays. So um, it's, it's a good article talking about how bankruptcy, creditors, debt um, – What's going to happen in the next couple of years uh, in North America?
0: I like the line, we basically, we need a season of cleaning in this in this environment. Yeah, and it's not new. I was talking to somebody yesterday about this. This is the fourth time
1: I've been through this. And in, ver- in more or less various ways, the same things happen. You have companies go out of business. You have companies lay off people. You have companies have too much debt it gets cleaned up and then the ones that are lean and mean and know what they're doing survive and then they go on to prosper in the future and the thing i don't quite understand is why does everybody think this is like so new it's happened in my lifetime four times i've been through this the same things more or less happen so it's what happens when you're a commodity market i mean it's not just oil and gas that's suffering all commodities right now are in decline copper sugar coffee um you know it's it's that's the world we live in but once again, if if you want to kind of understand the financials and how this is going to shake out, this is a great
0: article. Yeah. And from my free market perspective, this is something that can create a lot of doom and gloom. Oh, there's all these companies are going bankrupt. I lived through it in, in Michigan when we unfortunately did the bailout. But this 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 really drives home the fact that bankruptcy is a good thing because it frees up assets for people that know what they're doing to come in and maximize them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you're right. This is a free market um, byproduct that is actually, in in a lot of ways, good for the market. It's not good for the people that are going to lose their jobs, right? And our hearts go out to them. We try to help them. We have a show to help them. Yeah, it is eventually be good for the market.
0: Definitely. So this this next one is maybe off the radar, but I had to throw it in here because... I recently watched a documentary about nuclear, and it was fascinating to me because, of course, big oil had to play the bad guy in in the documentary, but equally bad guy was oh goodness, I'm totally losing the uh, the name of the uh, land and water watcher, all these different companies or uh, different activist groups, and a lot of people don't realize that nuclear is literally the safest power that you can possibly have and so here we go and and i didn't discuss with you beforehand so it'll be interesting to banter here to hear what your thoughts are but this time it's north dakota that sinks an experiment related to burying nuclear waste
1: yeah i was surprised you stuck this in here i i actually um out of high school for one summer worked in a a nuclear plant (laughs) another
0: thing i didn't know
1: yeah um, and so um, th- this is – you know what this is a good article on? This is a good article showing how public perception will influence politics that does not match up with the science. So um, nuclear power is the safest power on the planet, I, and and you can argue with me all you want. The data is there. <laughs> um, but what happens is people don't like the idea of having a nuclear power plant, um, and there's a bunch of misconceptions. And here's a perfect example of – um, you know, One of the, the things about nuclear power is you need to dispose of especially fuel rods, spent fuel rods. And so one of the safest ways to do that is deep uh, deep vaulting, where basically you get into the bedrock uh, in the planet and you stick the nuclear rods in there. And so here's an article um, where in North Dakota, the public had so much opposition that they had a project to do this, and, and the project was killed because of the public opposition – what the public doesn't know <laughs> is that the spent fuel rods that you're sticking in the bedrock is less radioactive than the bedrock itself. Our planet is extremely radioactive, especially if you drill deep. Um, it's one of the things that the oil and gas industry has to deal with. How do you get rid of those radioactive particles uh, in the fracking fluids because you're drilling? So this is this is just a perfect article on how perception doesn't match science, which then drives policy, which then causes us to
0: do silly stuff. Yeah, one of the Statistics, I can't remember exactly, but it was something along the lines of, if you go jump on a plane and fly from here to there, you're going to be literally take on, I'm saying literally too much, but you're going to take on as 10 times or not 10 times, but some whatever X amount of radiation than you would from working in a nuclear plant for one day. Oh,
1: I'll give you a perfect example, right? So when I did that at high school, I worked worked and cleaned up what's called low-level radioactive waste, which was less than seven disintegrations per minute, DPM, which is how you measure radioactivity. And people go, oh, my God, aren't you scared? You're working with radioactive waste. Let me put 7 DPM in perspective. A banana is 20 DPM. (laughs) <laughs> so I was dealing with stuff way less radioactive than a banana. Right? Now does it make sense? Now do you understand how this fits? So yeah, when you take a plane ride, you get exposed to a lot of radiation. Radiation is normal. It's it's what it's what powers this universe. Um you just don't the, the big threat is you don't want to get a radioactive particle on a like a piece of dust or something in you. That's where the that's where the damage comes but um our bodies are designed to deal with x amount of radiation and you can measure it and
0: and you know once again this is just a complete article on how public perception doesn't match science yeah and not one single death has ever happened in america or even around the world from directly from nuclear it, it's it's a it's a another big misconception led yeah. by led by the anti energy people at this point i just um it's surprising to me i didn't put it in here but uh, when I, yeah, actually, when I tweeted the article, I said, you know, we want all the power. No, not that kind. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right, moving on oil patch MA off to hottest start in years fueled by low prices. And I asked you this at the beginning of the year if you thought it was going to be a huge year for MA and you thought it might have passed. Does this change your perception at all? No. I And, and, and so
1: the headline of this is a bit sensational hottest start in years. The MA activity in oil and gas is about normal. <laughs> we have, no matter what's going on, we have a lot of MAs. This is a global business. It's very large, it's capital intensive, which is a prime environment when people make mistakes for somebody to buy you. Um, and this is talking about Suncor's Energy um, spent $6.6 billion to buy Canadian oil sands. And then uh, um, TransCanada uh, spent $13.3 billion of Columbia Pipeline. That's normal. That's not you know it's 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 not way out of proportion to what happened the last couple of years i thought 2014 was gonna be a record year for m&a activity and and it just didn't happen this perfect storm that i saw didn't materialize so um there's a lot of m&a activity going on you're going to see a, a bit of a blip this year because of what we just talked about because of companies that um, um made bad decisions and other companies that have capital um but that will clean itself up um i you know the m&a activity is 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 will be about normal for the next you know, 20 years or so. Um, it's going to be interesting to see um, as things change, right? So like we talked earlier, I think there's going to be this debt equity market that's going to be built in oil gas, which will be the first time ever. Um, every downturn I've been through, the only source of capital was banks. This one's different because there's other sources of capital. So that means that uh, companies that are asset heavy and cash poor are going to have multiple ways to try to raise cash, and like I said, I think you have got this debt equity market step in, which will actually increase the M and A activity because what they'll want to do is pick up companies and flip them. So, um, good article talking about some some real financial numbers. Um, um, you know, if, if you want to understand what's going on between
0: the peer to peer M and A uh, activities, read this. Let me push back. I just maybe is it that it's concentrated in Canada because this one line is what jumps out to me 16 Canadian oil and gas proposed deals valued at just over 19 billion year to date dwarf the 2.4 billion in 27 deals during the same period last year uh, that's a Canadian
1: centric metric so when when we're when I'm talking about MA activity I'm talking about globally right Um, and and you know when you're looking at that big a piece of that big a bucket you know $6 billion of, or $16 billion of, of M&A activity is is not even a blip on the radar. If you want to break this down to Canada, I actually don't know. I'd have to do some research to see if this is a record year in the Canadian M&A activity.
0: Got you. So, so Canada, it, well, you can't go ahead and generalize across the entire population of the world based on what's happening in one country.
1: Yeah, because it, fundamentally because the geology is different, right? So Canada's assets are either oil sands which are very expensive or frack fields. They don't have a lot of conventional reservoirs, which is going to drive a different business activity in this low crude price market than someplace like here in the US, where we have a mix of conventional reservoirs and fracking. Um, you know, we have a mix of the conventionals and unconventionals. So um yeah, I mean this could
0: easily be a record year in Canada. I just I don't have the data to to be able to talk to that. All right. This is an article that got a lot of clicks out of your Twitter feed. And I said we'd get to it later. So here it is. Why it won't be long before oil prices rise again. Do I even need to talk about this? <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> you know, to unpack it. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is by uh, Liam
1: Halligan. He needed a very good article talking about uh, why the price of crude is going to rebound. Um, and the, the only little thing in here that I have a little exception with is that he talks about um, – how uh, OPEC's cartel mounted a bit of an attack on fracking. And that's just not true. What people don't realize is that Saudi Arabia specifically has enemies. And Saudi Arabia has a military, but it doesn't have a huge military. And Saudi Arabia has concerns about its own people radicalizing. So uh, Saudi Arabia uses oil price as a weapon, literally as much as a tank or, or aircraft carrier. And so Saudi Arabia, specifically in OPEC, stuck a knife in Russia's back, which is one of their enemies. Same way with with, um, with Iran. Um, it's one of their enemies. And so um, that's the fundamental uh, um, politics on why they kept production up. They didn't do anything. Everybody thinks they, they did something. They just didn't lower production to, to get the price low. So he talks about that a little bit here. I totally disagree with that. But everything else in here, he's spot on. I mean, he somebody did some good research on the, on the metrics, on the data. Um, and he even talks about, and we've talked about this on previous shows, about how Saudi is suffering – You know, they ran ran a 20 percent deficit in their budget, which they've never done, which means they had to tap into their savings account to run their social program. So the price of crude's coming back up. You know, we talked about this just a minute ago. I think it's going to be $60 a barrel by August. Um, He's thinking it's going to be
0: a little bit longer than that. So let's see. The geopolitics and and it's the fact that all of so many OPEC countries are on the brink of war or in war and how that's going to play into this. I'm here I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so um a couple of things there. So uh, Libya has almost no production. They used to be a big producer because of of the wars that destroyed the infrastructure. <laughs> um you know, both Russia and the US are bombing refineries now and pipelines. So their production is not going to be able to hit the market. They have the potential to hit the market. They're not going to be able to hit the market. Um there's a bunch of hostilities going on right now between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And even though Saudi Arabia has a small military, it probably has the most modern military in the world because they have a bunch of money. Um, So their small military could, I think, easily take out – or not easily, but I think could end up uh, dominating Iran because Iran's military, even though it's larger, is a lot of old stuff. If that happens, if hostilities spark off there, um, my $60 a barrel goes out the window, and we're back at $100 a barrel literally overnight. Um, The other thing they talk about here is China and he did a real good job because everybody thinks china is is um growth is stopped it's not stopped just instead of it being 10% a year it's 5 or 6% a year it's still growing which means their demand is still growing you see a lot of stuff out there about how china's demand is falling that's not true <laughs> I, you know it's um when when we do these forecasts and we we do this with our clients right we 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 are one of the market research leaders in the oil and gas industry and um we we don't see us getting down to twenty dollars a barrel—it's just not gonna happen. We see us getting back to fifty or sixty, <clears throat> and this article does a good job explaining why that they also think we're going to get back there.
0: All right, let's revel once again in Mark LaCour's calling it nailed it. Sector spotlight: Energy refiners shine as crude oil sinks. Yeah, well, we've talked about this before. <laughs> I mean, I, I know, you're, but you're, this, was this was the first article, article that of, I saw yeah. that that put raw numbers to what we, we we've been talking about. Yeah, the
1: good thing about this is they go really, really big picture. So if you're not quite sure what upstream, midstream, and downstream is, they start there so you can understand the different segments of this industry. Um, and they even talk about the definition of super majors. In fact, if when you read this, it kind of makes them think that they watch my video I did all those years ago explaining this exact stuff. Um, but what they're saying is that the downstream is just blowing and going. They're making money everywhere. Um, we I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the show, but ExxonMobil's international petrochemical division uh, released fourth q earnings in uh, f- March, February, February, and their fourth q earnings fourth quarter earnings grew one hundred percent year over year.
0: That was the same so, as q three because we did a q three roundup, yeah, q three I think it was
1: sixty seven percent but q four is one hundred percent. Think of that somebody as large as ExxonMobil was able to grow one of their business units over a hundred percent in one year in profitability. That's insane growth. Um, so this is a good article talking about that. And the other thing I like about this article, they talk about crack spread, which sounds kind of like porn, but it's not. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking it sounded like crack, but okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So crack spreads are, are a simple thing to understand. It's, it's basically the difference in price between, um, the end product think gasoline, diesel, or jet fuel and crude oil prices. A lot of people think that gasoline prices are in direct proportion to crude oil prices here in the US, and it's not true. There's a difference for a bunch of different things. Like recently, you've seen the price of gasoline go up, and a lot of people don't understand go, oh, great, price of gas going up, the price of crude's going up. No, the price of crude actually went down, the price of gasoline went up. The reason it went up is that our refineries are having to switch their summer blend by law, which costs more money. So um that, there's a good example of a crack spread. Um, but anyway, this is if if you don't understand midstream upstream downstream super major, read this. They they did a really good job explaining that and it's short, it's a short read, it'll take you 5 minutes to read this.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned about the the switch to to the uh summer blend because I did tweet an article about that and I actually knew what it meant because of you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um this, this industry is way more complex than people from the outside think it is.
0: Yeah. And I've I've got to throw this stat in here. In 2015, the oil and gas refining and marketing subsector in the S&P 500 energy sector produced a whopping gain of 24.6 over the year. That compares to a 23.6 plunge in the broader energy sector. So good time to be investing downstream. Good time to be working in (laughs) downstream. It's investing.
1: They're growing like crazy. And you know, one of the drivers of that that people don't understand, it's not that the end products, the plastics and the fertilizers of are here are used in the US. It's the developing world. It's the company countries, I'm sorry, the countries that are pulling their people out of poverty need these fertilizers to feed their people, need these plastics to produce goods to their people. So we're supplying that. So, you know, this is actually driving global prosperity, which is cool.
0: And we're going to round it out with one really cool story about a guy who zigged when everyone was zagging. How a risky move paid off for this NYC investor and oil boss. Yeah, this is a great article. Once again, you're right, James. Talking about how when everybody else zigged, he zagged.
1: So when everybody's dumping money into the shell plays, uh, 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 Scott Cohen zagged. He went out and found conventional reservoirs. But what he did is he spent money on better 3D seismic geology. which means that he could better estimate the returns on his investment in conventional reservoirs. And what a lot of people don't understand, a conventional reservoir can be unbelievably cheap to produce oil in. So one of the benefits in the Middle East is most of their reserves are conventional reservoirs. So somebody like um, uh, Saudi Aramco basically pumps a gallon of seawater, which is free, in the ground, and a gallon of oil comes up. The cost of that is $20. Their break-even point is $20. So conventional reservoirs are very insulated against price swings because it's so cheap to get it out of the ground. So um, he Cohen basically put together a private equity company. Uh, it's called Petro River Oil. They're conv- they're um, investing in um, conventional reservoirs um, all over the world, and it's and they're making money. Uh, and you know even this low crude price environment. So here's a good example of somebody that thought outside the box, that did the right thing, that has a long term business
0: plan, and even in this low crude price market, he's making money. Yeah, and the the interesting thing to me is that it mentions that it, it really started in 2008, and if you put yourself in the mindset of 2008, you remember how that was the, the, shale, the shale fever was really spreading rapidly at that point.
1: Oh, yeah, that was when it just started to get kicked off, and so I'm sure his friends thought he was nuts. It's like, no, 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 you need to invest in all the shale technology and horizontal drilling and fracking, and he th- – looked at this long term wise and um you know i just there's a lot of stories like this out there that people don't get to hear i'm glad you put this in here because people need to understand that no matter what goes on geopolitically price wise whatever parts of this industry still make money always it's the whole reason that of our success right no matter what's going on we can find a part of this industry that is growing, that needs our clients, products, or services. So um, good articles showing how if you, if you think outside the box and you understand business and you think long-term, you can still be profitable in this industry no matter what the price accrued is.
0: Definitely. All right. And onto our onion of the week. It has to do with your plan that you put together once you're fired. <laughs> um, and we have to make a joke about that because if you can't laugh at this situation, then what, you know, what good is it? Um, I, I thought there was a pretty, a couple pretty funny points there, but this has really given me an opportunity for a commercial for Oil & Gas Careers podcast. Tell the people about it, Mark. Yeah, so if you got fired,
1: uh, we have a, a podcast just for you. It's the Oil & Gas Careers podcast where we basically, James and I, this is a passion project of ours, where we basically are out there trying to help you understand what's going on in the industry, what jobs are available, what you need to do to get those jobs. And we highlight real jobs in the oil and gas industry on every show. It's short format, 20, 25 minutes.
0: No, it's um, never so, 25 minutes. actually capped at 20. So. Uh, 20,
1: okay, good. So uh, if you're fired or got laid off or you want to get in the industry or you just want to understand what other opportunities,
0: uh, hit, hit our other podcast. You'll really like it. Definitely. All right, and we have a winner, Mr. John Adler, KYC officer at JP Morgan. Can you tell us what a KYC officer is?
1: I I don't know James. I, well, I don't know what well, to guess, you
0: know. I am the dictionary man, so I looked it up. Yes, I know something that Mark Lacour doesn't. All right, so KYC stands for know your client. Oh, ah, cool. Yeah, know your client. I, I like that. Know your client forms uh forms uh, forms protect both clients and investment advisors. Clients are protected by having their investment advisor know what investment best suit their personal situation. Investment advisors are protected by knowing what they can and cannot include in their client's portfolio.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That that's 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 high quality customer service. I, and I even love that title, "Know Your Client." I might I might borrow that.
0: <laughs> yeah, borrow it, and you'd be borrowing it for a pretty good company if anybody around the world isn't aware of J.P. Morgan. They've been around since 1871.
1: So uh, so congratulations, Jonathan, and let me actually speak directly to you, Jonathan. You, you're going to love this bag, and I'm so glad you won, but we keep talking on this show um, that we need somebody that understands investing as an expert. So whenever we talk about stuff and you hear James and I say, Hey, we're, we're not a professional advisors, So don't take our investment advice. I'd like to talk to you, Jonathan, or somebody in your company. Um, cause I would love to have you somebody from your company or you join the show where, where, James and I can go, we're not professional financial advisors, but we know one that is, which is Jonathan. So, um, you know, reach out to me or James or have somebody from, from JP Morgan reach out to us. I'd love to engage in that conversation.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because we have one more sponsorship spot open, but we bring in on a new sponsor today in intech so talk to us about intech Mark So intech is a, a great company um, they've been around for a long time they do a
1: lot of process controls um, you know if, if you're in this industry and you're running any type of plant you need to look at intech um, They do great work um, uh, high quality people out there um, you know reach out to them reach out to us and, uh, and, and look and see what they can do because they can really draw some efficiencies out there in the plant environment
0: yeah I just had an opportunity yesterday to sit down with Eric Fiddler, the president of the company, and talking about all of the different things that they do around automation and driving efficiency and and it's it's something that you everybody in the industry needs right now and just for our listeners, they have put together a white paper, which is pretty fantastic. I have to say, I did have a hand in copy editing it so you know, there might be some confirmation bias going there on my on my part, but this white paper, Artificial Lift, How to Drive Costs Down and Get the Most Out of the Ground. It's a really, really fantastic white paper. So go over to com forward slash podcast. So it's intech, I-N-T-E-C-H, com forward slash podcast and support our new sponsor because... We need to give some love to the people that give us the ability to provide this content to you for free. Yeah, and not only
1: that, but people out there that are in producing properties, you want to know how to decrease your cost for your lift to cost. So here's a free resource that takes you a minute to go download it. Go do it. And speaking of that, James, we need to back up. um, If people want to enter the whole Red Wing thing, what do they need to do?
0: Yeah, I was going to mention uh, it's no purchase necessary. See official site rules for rules and details it's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast and why don't you go ahead and, and give a shout out to red Wing real quick yeah it's a we love those guys right high
1: quality stuff i got my Red Wing boots ready for the rig tour um they're they have this whole flame resistant i mean fire resistant clothing line this whole protective clothing line uh, if you only know red wing
0: for their boots you need to look at what else they provide because it's really good stuff all right, good stuff. Let's move on to events. We've got a couple coming up right here in H-Town next week. The Houston Energy Breakfast. And uh, shout-out to Alan Gilmer. He will be there from Drilling Info, along with uh, R.T. Dukes from – ooh, I'm blanking on where R.T. Dukes – from Wood Mackenzie and a couple yeah. other really great people that you that you want to see. You know one of the great people that are going to be there? You? You? Me, I'm actually hosting a panel discussion on
1: how to be prepared for the crude rebound. So um, I'm going to be there. This is a great event. You need to go.
0: Um, And if you want to know how to prep your company and your business for the crude rebound, which is coming, come talk to me. And one thing that they did that was very innovative, I got to give them credit for this, because a lot of people listen to this show that can't make it to Houston. They actually have a virtual ticket. Yeah, I thought that was cool too. Yeah, they put together a virtual ticket. So I'll link that in the show notes we haven't mentioned yet on this episode. The show notes for this episode are triberocket.com forward slash TW56. And so if you want to see any of the stories we talked about or register for the virtual summit, if you will, go there. All right, ISA Pipeline subsection at the (laughs) Shrimp Boil and Tabletop Show. (laughs)
1: <laughs> go to this folks if you can i'll be there i'm actually bringing some people there this is boots on the ground type of stuff right so if you've never seen uh, armadillo racing you'll be able to see armadillo racing uh it's shrimp and beer and a bunch of oil and gas people in a, a big building with
0: a dirt floor i mean this is just this is just great so go to this go to it don't start any fights though not that not that someone you know did that <laughs> all right rig tour Tell us about the rig tour, brother, because it's going down. All right, folks,
1: April 30th, Saturday, April 30th from 10 to 3. It is your one chance. And I still can't believe I pulled this off. I'll never be able to pull this off again. It is your one chance to go tour a real offshore rig. Now, you don't have to go offshore because it's in dry dock in Baytown, Texas. Um, But um, if you want to go, Just Google. I guess James will put a link, but you want to look at the API Young Professionals Rig Tour. You have to sign up to go, um, and you have to join the API, which costs all of $25. But this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance, and James and I will be there, along with about 300 of your peers so far. You've got about 300 people sign up, so uh, go do this. This this is going to be absolutely
0: some of the best education, hands-on stuff you'll ever be able to experience. And I will put together a link for this tribe rocket.com forward slash rig tour. R I G T O U R just tribe rocket.com forward slash rig tour. If you haven't signed up yet, you, you just, you, you're slipping, son, and you need to step you your game up. You have to go to this. You I mean, have to. You literally have to go to this. And there's multiple other events going on that we don't have time to talk about. So if you would like to see those go to tribe rocket.com forward slash events and sign up for Mark's monthly events email, because this is where we get all of this knowledge from. We are coming up on our time. So we got to power through these next three points, but we haven't mentioned the, the first Friday Q and a in the last couple episodes and we need questions, Mark. Yeah. Come on
1: folks. You want to know something about the oil and gas industry? You want to
0: stump me? <laughs> uh, come on, give us questions.
1: We've gotten some really great questions and, and we need some more. So, um, um, you know, just go to the link that James provides or, um, Go to his website and and click um, the button so you can just leave one uh, verbally and uh, get us some good questions out there.
0: Yeah, so it's triberocket.com forward slash QA where you can write in or you you can just go to the show notes of this actual episode which is triberocket.com forward slash TW56 and just leave your question in the comments. Last month we had one come in that was just a little bit late and Mark was really able to help this person. I think it was a young professional.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, yeah. Reach out to us. Give us your questions, and if you're, we'll read them on. If you're, if we pick your question, we'll get right right on
0: the air and you get a shout out. And you get a shout out, and we do have the button if you're on a desktop to leave us a voicemail, which we highly encourage. All right, LinkedIn group, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, folks, if you listen to the show, go join our LinkedIn group. It is um the world's
1: premier oil and gas podcast peer-to-peer group. So it's not just this podcast. It's not just um, Oil & Gas Careers podcast. James and I and some other people that you don't know about yet have some future podcasts coming out. So this is our LinkedIn group is a place for you to meet with your peers, to get help on stuff, um, to, to really get kind of behind the scenes and join our family of our podcast audience. So if you listen to podcasts, go join our LinkedIn group. You'll be glad you did.
0: Definitely, and we have to mention iTunes Reviews because we can't thank everyone enough for helping us out in this way, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, come on, folks. So the reviews drive us up in the search engines. We have
1: some competition. Now, we don't think they're big competition, but unfortunately, we have some competition. So the way for us to pass up our competition is by you giving us a review. This allows us to rise higher in iTunes and Google's, which then means more people can find us. So do me a personal favor. Take the minute and a half and go give us an iTunes review. I'm personally asking you to do this and I appreciate you doing
0: it. Definitely and I have to give a shout out to our newest two reviewers um C was I didn't read, CB dude. So this podcast is a great way to stay tuned into Oil and gas news, I also learn something new every week on the technical side. Highly recommend listening five stars, four stars, solid, easy listening, general ONG info podcast. I'm an experienced oil and gas professional on the drilling operations side. I enjoy listening to the podcast for the general overview of the oil and gas industry and to get a wider perspective on the industry. I appreciate Mark's broad knowledge and experience as he provides clear descriptions James has enthusiasm helps the podcast get made and brings up topics despite not being strong. Technically it's true. <laughs> it's true. That's it's good, true. It's true. Yeah. If, if I was as strong as you technically, how, how would I ask you the dumb questions? I, I, am supposed to ask the podcast are, dumb question <laughs> the podcasts are easy listening while mostly done in casual conversation format. Uh, the the podcast has helped me pick up some new info and learn about other aspects of the industry in which I have not worked. Keep it going, guys. Thank you. That is from Keystoner USL. So a couple of great reviews. If you want to leave us a review, it's at tryrocket.com forward slash TW reviews. Take you straight into the iTunes store where you can leave us that review. And if you've made it this far in the show, Please share it with your friends. You can go to tryrocket.com forward slash share LI to go to LinkedIn forward slash share FB, go to Facebook forward slash share TW for Twitter. With all of that said, I know you've got to go, Mark. So you ready to go? Yeah, folks, do great work. Pay it forward. And we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. Mark, I'm going to pause for a second because I have to grab the link. I didn't have it open here. Sorry.